this morning to be starting a five-part series based on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, you all know this parable uh, totally well, but we're going to be looking at what it, would, what it would mean in today's world to be a Good Samaritan. What does it mean as we pursue uh, compassion, peace, justice, and then finally, the last one, to be a steward of the earth and deal with the existential problem of climate change. So we'll be looking at some of these issues, how today we can be Good Samaritans, and we're going to read this text each week. Um, I don't know if you recall, but the reason that he tells the story of the Good Samaritan is because a lawyer comes up to Jesus to kind of try to trick him, and he asks him a question that said, um, Carl Anderson, one of our retired lawyers and judges after the first service said, why are lawyers always the bad guys in the New Testament? They are the bad guys, scribes and lawyers. So he goes to try to trick Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's correct. But then he asks this question here as a follow-up. It's in the text there, Luke 10, 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. My friend, the Christian author Tony Campolo, has been doing mission work in Haiti for over 40 years. That's the country that he chose to help, and his family actually started their own orphanage there. Found out that it doesn't really take that much money to support an orphanage there, and their family personally has a mission project there. He tells about one day having lunch at a restaurant uh, in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, and he's seated there, and he looks out and sees at the window of the restaurant three street urchins, three little boys in ragged clothing, and they have their faces pressed to the glass, and they're staring as his food is brought to him and put on the table. The waiter goes over to the window and pulls the shade down and says to Tony, don't let them bother you. Don't let them bother you. I saw a New Yorker cartoon of two wealthy men, very well-dressed older men. They're sitting in the first class section of the train. 
but they're going through a ghetto. So the one man gets up and pulls the shade down. The other puts the shade back up and says, at least we can look. At least we can look. When Bob Dylan in Blowing in the Wind wrote, how many times can a man turn his head and pretend that he just doesn't see? The answer may be blowing in the wind, but the real answer is quite a few. Quite a few people have gotten very good at turning their head and pretending that they can't see. Pretending that they can't see the problem that we have in this world with poverty, with uh, the, the lack of peace, with climate change. Pretending that we can't see. So one of the first steps to becoming a good Samaritan is to be willing to see. Be willing to not turn your head and to see and confront the problems in our world. So let's get our bearings in this story. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem is 17 miles long. It uh, was a very dangerous place back then. It's still dangerous today. Because of the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, it's still a very dangerous place to be. So this man traveling on the road is accosted by robbers. They beat him up, steal his clothes and possessions, and leave him lying there half conscious. A priest comes by and sees him, but just passes by on the other side. A Levite comes, Levite is a religious scholar, sees him, passes by on the other side. Let's be fair to these folks, though. They were actually doing what their religion told them to do. The Levitical Code of the Old Testament says that if you are a priest or a Levite, you're never to touch a sinner. If you touch a sinner, you become defiled and you cannot do your job of the religious services. So they are simply following their, their own religion, what their religion tells them to do. I mean, they can't tell if this guy is a sinner or not. Because he doesn't have any clothes, so you can't tell by his clothes if he's Jewish. And he's unconscious. He's half dead, it says, so you can't even ask him a question. So they just figure it's better, not, better to not take a risk. Better not to take a chance of touching this guy, lest they become defiled. Then comes the Samaritan. He puts himself at risk. I mean, those robbers could be right there behind the rocks waiting for the next guy to come on the road, right? The fact that he gets off his donkey, putting himself at risk, helps the guy, puts the guy back on the donkey, and then somehow gets him to the inn. Uh, he's, he's doing this thing, um, and uh, he's deciding that he's going to intervene and do something good. It's hard for us to imagine today how shocking this story would be to people of Jesus' era, to Jews, the people that he told it to, because to the Jews, the Samaritans were the vilest, worst people that you could possibly imagine. They would often desecrate the temple of the Jews. They are an outside group that was 
terribly hated. I mean, if you, if you talk about the way that the Jews and Palestinians feel about each other nowadays, you can just do, go to that same place and multiply it. So the idea that Jesus would tell a story where the hero is a Samaritan is unheard of. It's like Jesus told a parable today called the good Al-Qaeda terrorist, the good Colombian drug lord. It's an oxymoron. There is no good Samaritan. He's confronting them with this. The people that you kind of expect to do good in the story don't. This is why it's so ironic. The, people, the, the, the religious people that you expect to be compassionate and good are not. And this guy, who you, you would never expect to do anything good, is the hero. There was an experiment that happened many years ago about, at Princeton Seminary. It was, I think it was the psychology department in the undergraduate school who put this on. They were trying to study the correlation between what people were thinking and the actions that they took in the world. So they put together this little kind of experimental thing where they, they went to the homiletics uh, class at the seminary, the preaching class, and they got everybody assigned the same text, the Good Samaritan. Everybody in the class was supposed to preach about the Good Samaritan. And uh, they were supposed to go, they signed up for an appointment to go over to another building where there was a video recorder and they're supposed to preach their sermon and then have it played back later on to the class to be reviewed. Well, in the experiment, they hired an actor to fake a heart attack right in front of the place where the students were going to have their sermon recorded. They had a guy who would grab his chest and fall to the ground and writhe around and pretend like he was having a heart attack. They found out that a majority of the seminary students walked right around the guy having the heart attack so that they wouldn't be late for their appointment to preach a sermon about the Good Samaritan. Now, I mentioned that this is Princeton Seminary. Uh, this would never happen at the seminary that Don and I went to, <laughs> San Francisco Theological Seminary, much more compassionate people there at that seminary. But the thing is, is that the persons that you would expect to do the right thing sometimes don't. Maybe they had the text wrong. Maybe they should have been preaching on 1 John, where it says, if you see a person in need and turn away, how can you say that you have the love of God in you? If you see a person in need and turn away, how can you say you have the love of God in you? So the guys come, this guy comes to test Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answers with another question. It's like the story about the, the Jew and the Gentile, they're talking and the Gentile says, hey, the trouble with you Jews is that you always answer a question by asking another question. And the Jew said, why not? <laughs> so the religious guy is trying to question Jesus to trick him. What do, you, what do I have to do to get into her life? And Jesus asks him another question and the guy answers rightly, but then in an attempt to get around the reality of what he must do, he tries to make the simple complex. He asks another question. Who is my neighbor? He tries to make it a little bit more difficult to understand. Well, well, let's talk about, let's get down in the weeds here. 
Who is my neighbor? Um, as long as we keep asking questions, we can get around doing what we need to do and still look religious. Now, another situation in Jesus' life, somebody came to him and asked the very same question. It's the story called the rich young ruler. This young man comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all you have and come follow me. And he's not able to do it. But his heart, but the question was a real one for him. He was searching for a life of meaning. And so Jesus answered him in a very different way than this fellow. This lawyer was seeking to justify himself by, he wanted to confirm the narrowest possible definition of the word neighbor. You know, because um, in his mind, neighbor meant Jew. That's what a neighbor was, a Jew. The problem persists to this day in the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. Neither side is willing to see the other as a neighbor. That's why we have this ongoing conflict going on and on and on. But we can't condemn them because here in America, there is the same tendency to see a neighbor as someone who was born in the good old USA. It's a universal phenomenon that we're talking about for hardly anyone in the world believes that territorial discrimination is as evil as racial or religious discrimination. But it is. Nationalism at the expense of another nation is just as wicked as racism at the expense of another race. In other words, it's a fact that no one's heart is as wide as God's love. It's easy to be overwhelmed with all these things, to understand and to feel like we, we can't, the problems are so huge we can't do anything. That's why I put that quote in your bulletin there where it says, I am only one, I can't do everything, but I can do something, and I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. I thought that was an anonymous quote, but I did a little more research. And I found that it has been attributed to Helen Keller, woman who was blind and deaf, who did so much. And her attitude, this in her darkness, Helen Keller could see more clearly than the learned lawyer in our text. I thought that we lived in order to love, but apparently not. Our text says that we love in order to live. Jesus' last line, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. John 3 says we pass from death into life because we love each other. There's a movie that came out several years ago called The Blind Side. It was about uh, a family, a white southern family, who adopted into their family an African-American young boy. He was going to the same school, but essentially he was homeless. And, and they took him in and uh, brought him into their family. And, and what's amazing in the movie is how it helped not just this boy, but how much it helped every member of the family. How they all flourished and grew because of this act of love that was central to the heart of their family. It was a, a beautiful thing to see that happen. But that's what Jesus says. 
whenever you live this way, when you live the life of loving care, you, it, it, it increases your ability to live, your enjoyment of life, all those things. Now, to be a good Samaritan today means that you have to use your head as well as your hands. For example, let's just uh, update the parable. Let's say you're walking down Grand Avenue. You're headed toward the movie theater there. And all of a sudden, you see on the sidewalk there, somebody has just gotten mugged. Somebody has just gotten mugged. They've been beat up, hit over the head. Their head is bleeding. Uh, and they're laying there, and they're barely conscious. So what would you do? Well, you probably wouldn't pick them up and take them to the hospital, would you? Because we know nowadays that sometimes you can cause damage if you move somebody who's critically injured. So perhaps you would take your jacket off, put it over him, keep him warm, and you'd immediately call 911. You'd call the paramedics, and you'd make sure that he got to an emergency room to be treated. But what? What if the social services in your neighborhood, in your town, had been so cut back that it took the paramedics forever to get there? And what if the trauma center, the local trauma center, had been closed so that you had to go miles and miles to find a trauma center to treat this guy and that he died on the way to the hospital. It could be possible there may come a day when the best thing the Good Samaritan can do is show up on a picket line in Sacramento demanding that social services not be cut. It's inevitable to fully express our Samaritan instincts these days. We have to find public as well as private ways to act corporately as well as individually. There's a story about a man who's walking along the river and all of a sudden he hears these cries for help, 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 I'm drowning. He jumps in, he pulls the person out, saves them, keeps on going on his journey. Ten minutes later, there's another person in the river. Help, please help me. And he jumps in and saves that person, saves three people. But when he comes to the fourth one, he just takes off and starts running up the river. Somebody says, hey, aren't you going to help him? And he says, no, I'm going up river to see who's pushing him in. There comes a time when you move from aid to development and then development to advocacy. You know the old saying, you give a man a fish and, you, and, you, and he eats for a day, you teach him to fish and he eats for a, a lifetime. That's aid and development. But you make sure that the river's not polluted so the fish don't die. That's advocacy. So you have to move from aid to development to advocacy to get things done, to make sure that this world acts in the way that the Good Samaritan would want to act. So, in conclusion, we have to not get depressed by the enormity of the problems. That's the greatest danger, I think, is that when we see, we, we look at the problems, when we're willing to see, and you start looking, you go, whoa, poverty is a huge problem. You know, war is a huge problem. The climate is a huge problem. And it's easy to get depressed. So our job is, as, as someone once asked Bishop Tutu, Desmond Tutu of South Africa, how do you eat an elephant? And his response was, one bite at a time. One bite. As Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love.
That's what we do. Small steps in the right direction. In the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at ways that we can be good Samaritans and take some small steps in the world. I close with a story that you all know. You've all heard it before. There's so many variations of it. The one I heard was the man is walking along the beach and he comes across, and the, the day before, there's been this huge storm that has thrown up on the beach thousands of starfish. They're baking in the sun and dying. So one by one, he picks them up, throws them back in the water, pick it up, throw it back in the water. Somebody else comes along the beach and says to the guy, hey, look, this beach is 10 miles long. There's thousands of starfish out here. How is what you're doing going to make any difference? And he just bends down, picks up a starfish, throws it in, and says, made a difference to that one. That's all we can do. One at a time. Small steps. Remember Helen Keller's words. I'm only one. I can't do everything. But I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do.